We are live. We're back. Carlos, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Matt? I am great. According to my whoop, I'm great, actually. Yeah, what's the whoop score today? You actually uh, have a score today. Yes, I've actually I've been wearing my score from the yeah. whoop, not your self-prescribed whoop recovery percentage. All right, what is it? Yeah, I've, I've like I promised I would put it on and I haven't taken it off in like five days now. So I feel accomplished. But my score today is 88%. Wow, 88% yeah. recovered. And it says right under the score that I'm going to drop hot fire on podcast today. <laughs> Whoop is now... Now, giving you insights into your your podcasting abilities, huh? Yeah, it says you had a good night's sleep, which will help you excel today and drop hot fire on your podcast. Embrace today's recovery and strive towards your strain goal on the podcast of fourteen point eight. So, well, I hope this podcast isn't too strenuous for you. No, it's not. How about you? What's your whoop score? I am also in the green. My whoop score is seventy six percent. Ooh, 76%. And you're running a lot. So yes, running whoop loves the running or rather cardio exercise is great for building heart strength, making your heart stronger. And that's what whoop loves is a stronger heart. Uh, I've been in the green for the last five days, six out of the last seven. And I think I mentioned this last week. I started marathon training last week. So have been putting the miles in. I ran five miles just this morning already, um, which is a big, it always feels like a big deal, a big accomplishment to get those miles in before you start the day. So 76% HRV is higher and resting heart rate is lower. And you love to see it. You love to see those two things particularly. What is your HRV? My HRV is 67, which for a 35-year-old male is pretty good. My baseline has been 62. So the fact that it is above baseline contributes to the green recovery, the, the 76%. Resting heart rate is 49, for the if you're curious, which is good. You know, pretty good. And I think for a 35-year-old male, anything below 50 is pretty good. Right. Remind the listeners, higher heart rate variability is better, considered yes. better? Yes, correct. Okay. A, higher, uh, a high HRV heart rate variability means that your heart is able to take on exercise. It's a strong heart. Nice. Mine's at a 76. Oh, so, look at you. Yeah. Strong heart. What's your resting heart rate? Oh man, I'm gonna have to like look. Do I find that in strain or recovery? Oh, here it is. 51. Yeah, pretty good too. Yeah. Look at us, two healthy dudes. Two healthy dudes. So before we dive in, I'm gonna have my perfect day today. I know we discussed it in episode one or two, whichever it was. But yeah, today I'm going to get a couple of focused blocks in. I'm going to also obviously do this podcast since we're doing it right now. And I've come to like these very, very much. I find it cathartic. It's fun to talk to you. And um, later I get to play baseball. So I have a game tonight. So today I'm going to get to live my healthy, happy day. And maybe that's why my recovery score is so high. You know, there is an element of um, mental health that does contribute, that does get uh, factored into your, your whoop recovery score. HRV takes into account both, oh gosh, I'm going to mess up the names, but it's like your your nervous system, both like mm. for your um, physical nervous system and then your, your like central brain nervous system. And if your brain is stressed, mental stress, it, your HRV will be reflected in that and, and your, your, thus your recovery score will be reflected in that. Um, but if you're like in a good place, if you're mentally, you know, in a good place, no stress, you know, like you said, have a, you knew, you, you, you knew going in today that you were going to have a, a, your perfect day. Then your recovery is bound is, is 
is going to be better as well. It's going to be high, like 88% like you do. So I, yeah, another plug for Whoop and checking out all yeah. the good stuff they're doing. But anyway. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe just to counteract that, I'll self-sabotage and have a shitty day tomorrow. Like I'll set up the worst day possible and see if my recovery score, I wake up with like a 40. Like I'll go to bed tonight dreading tomorrow just to see what happens. I'm that is a great experiment. I would love to see the results for that. Uh, let's yeah, tune into next tune in next week. Let's see what what happens when Matt tries to self-sabotage himself. <laughs> yeah, all right. Let's dive into the first segment here. Uh, so, this is this is a new it. one. This is a new one that I suggested. Right? It's it's uh it's called put up a number. So, I think I would like to have this segment where one of us brings to the table one number and then break it down a little bit and we can talk about it. I think it'd be fun to take this approach. So I'll dive right in. Um, my number is $1.4 billion. $1.4 billion. First of all, that's a big number. B billion. $1.4 billion. And that, that's how much revenue Taylor Swift's Eras Tour is estimated to make at the end of its run, as reported by the Wall Street Journal. And Taylor Swift takes half of that. All right, so oh. let that sink well, in for a second. It's it sunk in. It's sunk in real deep. How the heck is she getting 50% of that? That, I actually, that's a good question. I actually don't know for sure. Off the top of my head, well, good negotiation, I guess, and you know, good. Pe- she surrounded herself with good people. She has learned from her past about surrounding herself with good people and good business managers, particularly. Um, all right, let me give you some secondary numbers here. Let me put up some secondary numbers. Right, the the current record. So, so one point four billion dollars for a, a musical tour is going to be the record. The current record is nine hundred million, which was Elton John's farewell tour which was uh, over the span of five years and 330 shows. Taylor's tour, as of right now, there are going to be 106 shows and it's going to be over two years, 2023, 24. So currently each show grosses about $13.6 million in sales and about 2 million of that is just for merchandise. And uh, I mean... Beyond the tour and the revenue that that's taking in, there's a there's also obviously a great impact on the local economy, right? So a survey, um, Question Pro, which is a research company, they did a survey of concert go- concert goers, and they found that uh, Taylor's tour is expected to generate five billion dollars, just like on local economies that that the tour goes to. Like in Chicago, apparently, when she was there, Chicago, the hotels were at like ninety-seven percent capacity for that for that weekend. For context, five billion dollars is the GDP of Fiji. It's like greater than the GDP of fifty countries in the world. <laughs> That's insane. Okay, uh, I have a couple of thoughts here. If you don't mind. So first of all, 50% that she's going to earn on this 1.4 billion. That's insane. Good for her. She sounds like an amazing businesswoman. Um, and I think that's a testament to the power that creators have in today's economy, right? Like without her, there is no tour. So everyone else who right. wants their hands in the pot, trying to take her money, she's like, no, screw you. Like, this is my money. And unless I'm getting 50% of it, I mean, it's obviously not that simple. There's a bunch of negotiation going on there, but that's essentially what she's done. She's probably put her foot down and was like, you guys aren't getting 90% of this and I'm walking with 10%, right? Absolutely. As the creator, they have the greatest leverage. You have the greatest leverage. So you get, I mean, you should be able to call the shots. You should be able to control, particularly with your money, revenue-wise, where, how, where it's going and how much you're getting. So. Something to keep in mind for sure. Right? Protect yeah. yourself. Look out for number one. 
numero uno. All right. And then two, let's say someone out there wanted to take advantage in the local economy as Tay-Tay rolls into town. What are some ways they could do that? Just off the top of your head, what do you think they could do to get a piece of the pie here? So great question. The, you know, Eras Tour, Taylor Swift, you add that name to something and, and or you, you kind of call that out and, and you might, you're going to get some attention. So uh, maybe not even locally, but even just generally capitalizing on those trending keywords is a good idea to do. Um, here in New York City, the NYC fairies are doing a like Taylor Swift themed week. Mm. Um, and one of the rides, uh, so like there are a few routes and one of the routes starts in wall street, lower Manhattan, and it goes through Dumbo. It goes through South Williamsburg, Williamsburg, Greenpoint. And I think it eventually ends in midtown Manhattan. And that particular ride will play the whole album, like the whole new album, which I believe is called midnights. So, um, and they're doing that because there's a, there's a connection. Obviously, Tara Swift, she loves New York City. She has a place here. She comes here often. And I think she wrote The Fairy as one of the covers of her albums. Or it's like, it's in a music video. I don't know. Somebody please clarify or like, you know, comment where, what is that exact connection between Tara Swift and the New York, New York City Fairies? Um, anyway, that's one example of how a business, well, New York City Fairs is a state. It's a it's a it's a city run organization, but they're capitalizing on somebody. You know, had the presence of mind to be like, oh, we should capitalize on this. Um, so broadly speaking, yeah, I think the keyword, the the trends, like if they're coming to town, you know, if you're a local diner, you might run a Taylor Swift special. If you're a content creator, you might want to like. So, yeah. specifically, what would that look like? Let's focus on this diner. I write blog articles saying Taylor Swift coming to Tennessee. I, I don't even know towns in Tennessee. This is Nashville, Tennessee. Here we go. Right. That's where she played. I, yes. And I am a Nashville diner. So I write, what would I write? What would my headline of this blog be to rank first? So that when people search Nashville, Taylor Swift concert, I show up and then I make a bunch of business. Well, you're anticipating all of the people traveling to Nashville to watch the show from everywhere, not even just like surrounding areas, surrounding towns, but as far as like whatever, Georgia, Texas, I don't know. So <clears throat> those people are, are, according to the survey, the same survey, the average amount spent by a concert goer was $1,300. So that is, that, you know, that includes merch that they, that they, purchase at the event, but also hotel and food. So food and lodging, right? So you're going to want to research, you may research, you know, best food options in Nashville. And so, you know, you might want to, as a diner, anticipate that Taylor's coming, anticipate that, okay, she's going to bring all this influx of, um, concert hours of people coming from out of town who are going to look for food options and if you can get like the taylor swift keyword in there too right or you might I even buy it. ad space too right like I just so it. that you know that you're going to rank number one taylor Swift special for all you people the, coming to the show the tay tay tater tots <laughs> tay we call them tay tater tots somebody's definitely done that i've, I've i'm i would bet that there is a diner right there that has made the Taylor Swift pun, right? Ah, oh, son of a bitch. It is of a thing. Of course it's a thing. I don't think it has anything to do with like Tay-Tay, but there is a Tay-Tay's Tater Tots. <laughs> I wonder if they make money. That's a great idea, though. We should sell Tay-Tay's Tater Tots in like ghost kitchens on DoorDash. Specifically, all around the country where she is performing, and I wonder if you have to give her a piece of the revenue 
I mean, name and likeness. What if she's trademarked Tay-Tay? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, yeah, it's it's just mind-boggling the going back to the 1.4 billion, going back to all the other secondary numbers that I put up. It's just like this is the you know this is the power of one person, of one essentially you know creator musical creator um yeah it i let me just quickly say on a personal note i did attend the heiress tour uh a couple months ago it was a uh i went with my wife and it was a um engagement present for her so i bought the tickets bought them on the secondary market so the price was closer to an engagement ring um, engagement ring end of the spectrum in terms of price than a concert than regular concert tickets but it was well worth it um especially because for her surprise song she played taylor's taylor swift played so it's like she plays two surprise songs every show so every show is like 45 songs and they're all the same except for two that are surprises each night mm-hmm. and one of the two that she played for the show that we went to was my wife's favorite song so which is uh, uh oh you're putting me on the spot it's it's um something ground sacred no high ground i'm gonna oh. have to look this up later carlos you can't be put on the spot with trivia on your wife and not get it now if she listens to this higher ground it's called higher ground okay good save you just save some disappointment. Oh no, it's called Holy Ground. Holy Ground. <laughs> oh, Holy See, Ground. I, don't, I, Holy I know ground. virtually nothing about Taylor Swift outside of Shake It Off. The show Shake is it off. Yeah, Shake It Off is a good one. The show is amazing. I was not a Taylor Swift fan, honestly, until afterwards. I'm like, wow, this is this music is pretty good, actually. And I must say, the lines for the merchandise were ridiculous like people stood in line the long the lines were super long mega long and i think i heard ever anywhere between 45 minutes to an hour and a half just to stand in line to get the merch i wonder who is providing the merchandise like which company is producing this and getting a piece of pie they look like you know basic champion brand hoodies sweatshirts shirts like I don't know if Champion's the brand, but you know, like, I wonder if it's Fanatics. I don't. I don't think it's Fanatics. It, it, there was no brand. Like, I, my wife works in the National Hockey League, the National, the NHL, and the Fanatics. You know, they have a solid deal, and I don't think they're like. Usually, you see the logo, the Fanatics logo, mm-hmm. on the merch or somewhere in the arena. Or like on the sand, and I didn't see that. Did you? Did you find out who it is? Nope. And there's nothing. Uh, hold on. Taylor Swift merchandise. And Google says it does not say. So some company out there is making a lot of money on this. Maybe it's her. Maybe she has her own merchandise company. Wouldn't put it past her, given the power, given the capital that she has. Yeah. Well, all right, that was cool. So for your first put up a number segment, 1.4 billion, big number. It's a cool segment. I guess let us know what you think of it. Yeah, I want to hear I want you to put up a number next time, Matt. Give me a number. Give us give us the listeners a number to react to. Should I put up a real number or should they be like self-prescribed like my first few whoop scores? Be any number. Just put okay. up a number. Got it. You could even do imaginary numbers. Ooh, math. Quick math. Um, all right, cool. Let's uh let's roll on into segment number two, which I guess is probably our final segment, but might invoke some good conversation. It's the meaty so, substantive one for sure. Meaty for sure. So I thought it would be cool to talk about the importance of a first win in business. When 
when you hear that like first win in business, what does that make you think of? It's, it makes me think of a, um, like a, like a, a moment of like a signal of success. It, it makes me think of a goal that's reached, um, or, um, some fortune falling your way, but, but more, but more specifically the first one, right? It's, it's a sense of accomplishment. It's like a bit of a sigh of relief for a business owner or a, a startup owner, a founder. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, I think of like, you know, a sign, a signal like, oh, this is working. This should, we're going to keep going, you know, right. that's what I think of. What do you think of? Yeah. So I have encountered this a lot. So over the years, I've read countless books, listened to countless podcasts, countless blog articles, and mostly it's doing research on people, how they got to where they got to, because I'm fascinated by it, right? I think a lot of people who get into online entrepreneurship are fascinated by it um, or by other people's successes. Um, and time and time again, in some of these stories, you see that they had like a small small first win, maybe a large first win, but they had some first win before they go on to build their, a company that they're known for, or that has given them so much success financially that they're essentially post-economic. Post-economic is just a tech bro way of saying they're financially free. So I think there's multiple ways you can have a first win. And by the way, Cut me off at any point if you want to talk about them. Let's keep it conversational and fluid. So way number one would be to build something where you have enough income and you can essentially install a CEO or someone to run that business. So maybe you are the founding team, like we are in a way, a marketer and an engineer. So we have all the tools to build something and get something off the ground. But if you want, then you can install with that revenue an income, a CEO, and then you take some of your profits off to the side and you're essentially unlocked. You have freedom to go and work on whether that's uh, more creative strategies for the current business you're in, or with your new unlocked freedom, you go on to work on another business, right? So I think that's way number one. Way number two is to build a first business with a maniacal focus on getting acquired. So I think people overthink this. I think, um, I'm not saying it's easy to get a business acquired. I don't think it's easy. It's definitely hard work. But when you break it down and you break down the numbers, let's do it, right? So let's take an example. Let's say, for, first of all, you have to have your number. You have to know like, all right, at what number what dollar amount am I personally, for me and my family, unlocked? Where do I have absolute freedom to do whatever I want? So let's say your number's 10 million, right? Okay, let's factor in taxes. So you're gonna have to pay taxes on that because the IR and the S is gonna come and get their piece. So let's say you need $14 million acquisition, right? Well, typically in software, you have a multiple on your revenue, right? You'll hear about multiples all the time in acquisitions. And right now I looked it up in 2023. It's currently around 8x multiple on your top line annual recurring revenue. It's been as high as 21x as recently as 2021, which is crazy, which means every $1 in annual recurring revenue is actually $21 when you sell it. First of all, what do you think of that? That's a very large number to put up a 21 X multiple. Yeah. What company was there a company that was purchased at 21 X? No. So I didn't go into too much details there, but I guess let's just focus on today. So today it's around eight X. Okay. So let's say you have your $14 million target. You need 8X, so you take your $14 million acquisition target and you divide it by 8X. So this will give you the revenue number you need yearly to get to your 14 mil. 
So when you do that math, you get around $1.75 million in ARR. Okay, so now you take that 1.75 mil and you divide it by 12, 12 months in a year, and you get your MRR, your monthly recurring revenue. And that's $146,000. Okay, let's divide some more, right? So you take your 146,000 MRR and you apply some kind of average order value. So each whatever each customer is going to pay you. So let's just use a big uh, round number in this case. So let's say it's $129 average order value, right? So now you divide your 146,000 in MRR divided by your average order value of $129. And you find that you need 1,150 paying customers. So the further you break down this big number, you start to realize, okay, it doesn't sound that difficult. Like 1,150 customers. It's not that unachievable anymore, right? Let's go a little further. Let's say you want to say, all right, I want to be in this business for four years or 10 years or six years, whatever your timeline is. But let's say it's four years. So now you divide your 1,150 customers divided by four years. Now you know that each year, inclusive of churn, you have to add on 288 net new customers on top of whatever your churn rate is a year. So now we've gone from 14 million to a very small number of 288 new customers per year. You could, if you want, I didn't do the math. You could break this down even further and you could say 288 divided by 12, 12 months in a year. How many new customers do I need to get in a, in a month? Yeah. So I don't know what that number is, but it's probably small. First of all, I love that. I love the, I love reverse engineering a goal to get it down to a very small, or a, a number that you break it down to, you know, a monthly, a yearly goal. Just like you said, I would even break it down further to this monthly and even a daily goal. And it's 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 interesting. You speak to or your definition or how you think of a first big win, quote unquote, is is this macro like ultimate goal. The the you know the 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 big north star is your first big win. 14 million for for you. Um, exit number, right? Acquisition number, whatever. Uh, and I think of first big win as these micro kind of broken down goals. Like, you know, what I would do, okay, so we get to this um, 288 net new each year, right? And you break that down to what it is average per day. And in the month, you know, in that first month that you're seeking out to do this, it's, you know, you're going to have that daily number or it's probably not going to be in the first month, whatever that month is where you actually go to market and you start actually like acquiring customers actively doing that. You can, at the end of the day, look at the, you know, the customers acquired and is it above or below that threshold of whatever 288 divided by 365 is? I mean, that's less than one, but you get what I mean, right? Like you probably better at, at that number to do it at the end of the month, did we, you know, did we get 288 divided by 12? Did we get to that number? And if we did, that's my success. That's that's my definition of a win. And that's what I allude, that's what I was alluding to when I said it's a signal that, like, yes, this is working. This is you should keep going. And I feel good about that, right? Like that's a first big win. Like to me, you know, the that is the the first thing you gotta do in order to get to the first million, um, the 14 million rather. You can't get there unless you like clear that that threshold of the first month, first year. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. So, and then just to be clear, the 14 million number that I came up with, that wasn't my number. That was a- Totally a random number. number. It was really, gotcha. the number was 10. And then I added a 40% tax rate, which is probably more than the taxes you pay because there's QSBS and all these tax breaks that you are allowed to get from the oh my gosh. government, but tax breaks. I, I could go, a, I could talk all about tax breaks. Yeah. I am not a tax attorney, so this is not tax advice. Consult your tax attorney. But I personally view the first win as 
actually just unlocking yourself from needing a job, right? Like maybe that number is only 10 grand per month times the number of early stage founders, right? So if there's two of us, then the number is 20 grand. You do that same reverse engineering on that number. And I mean, you'd probably laugh at how small the number of customers you actually need are. It makes it so, it, it makes it seem so easy. But with that, I wanted to bring up examples of three entrepreneurs who have had a first win in business and the approach they took, and then obviously what they went on to do after. You game for that? Let's do it. Before we do, real quick, have you are you familiar with FIRE, uh, this concept? It's an acronym for Financial Independence Retire Early. Mm -hmm. What you're describing very, is kind of... Familiar. Right. So what you're describing is kind of like almost the other, the opposite of that, which is financial independence, keep building businesses. Yeah. So yeah, that's a good point. Um, and I not think the exact opposite, but it's, it's similar. It's along those lines. Yeah. There's also like other, this is probably a whole other segment on another episode, but there's fat fire. I don't know if you've heard about that. What is fat fire? Yeah, so it's like, the FIRE community is, let me just get the financial independence so I can retire early. The FAT FIRE community, which is actually a very popular subreddit, is I want to have FIRE, financial independence, and retire early, but I want to do it in a FAT way. So I want to be like wealthy, very wealthy. So I don't want to make two mil. I don't want to have two mil in the bank and get my 4% per year on my two mil. I want to have 20 mil in the bank and live a fat lifestyle. That's essentially what it is. This is absolutely another segment of probably a whole other episode if we choose to go down this rabbit hole. And it actually incorporates some of my thoughts around the tax breaks and tax stuff that I alluded to earlier. Um, or like just now, I alluded to just now. But anyway, I am derailing us. Please go down the, or uh, please give us some examples of people who had first big wins. Cool. So I think let's do that. Um, and let's start with someone everyone obviously knows. And if you don't know him, don't go down the rabbit hole to try to find out who he is because maybe you don't want to know him. Uh, Elon Musk, who I am a bit of a fanboy of, but oh, a lot of people no. only know him from Tesla, SpaceX, all of his uh, more famous companies, right? Or PayPal, they've heard of the PayPal Mafia. A lot of people don't know he had a starter company, a first win called Zip2, which was essentially the Yellow Pages back in nineteen, the late 1990s during the internet boom. Um, dot-com boom. Yes, the dot-com boom, thank you. And it was acquired by Compact Computer for $307 million which Elon personally walked away with $22 million in that sale. And that is actually how he got his start to invest in all of these other companies. He, he Right after that, he went on to found, not found, he was a part of PayPal. He founded a company called X.com, which was online payments. And then they merged with PayPal and that whole team. And then anyway, you, could, you can go down that rabbit hole of what he did after. But the idea that he had a first win there helped unlock everything he went to work on in the future. And I think that's fascinating and super overlooked because I think people will look up to someone like him and go, fuck, man, like this dude is a genius. He's got these billion dollar companies, but he probably wouldn't have access to that without first having that first win. And I think it, it would be interesting because I'm super fascinated in the concept of a butterfly effect. What might have happened to Elon had Zip2 failed and he walked away with nothing? So maybe that's a rabbit hole we can explore in another episode. I mean, you would assume that he would just go on to the next venture and get his first big one um, in another way through another via another venture, another company, right? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. Right. Maybe he doesn't raise money because he wasn't a successful first-time founder. For the record, I think Elon 
sucks. <laughs> I I respect his uh I guess like his uh decision making early day, like at that, you know, in the era that we're talking about. But clearly there's an ego thing there in play with him in 2023. I don't know if you saw his tweet this week. Did you see it? I didn't. But I want to pitch the idea that episode four of this podcast is a deep dive into Elon Musk and our opinions on him. Oh, gosh. A, a solid debate. Do you tell you what he tweeted this week? What did he tweet? He, he, I think he like said he was going to stop tweeting, and then he comes back to take shots at Mark Zuckerberg because of threads that was launched recently. And he says something to Zuckerberg. And then he, he he subtweets it. He 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 basically says like, "Let's compare our dick sizes." That's literally, not literally, but that was the tweet. I I'm not gonna look it up. I'm not gonna find the exact wording. But he it's so juvenile, it's outrageous. Oh. The guy's got like a crazy ego right now. A literal dick measuring contest. Literally a dick like let's measure our dick lengths. That's what he tweeted this week. So I don't want, I don't want to like rain on his accomplishments or I don't know. It's just like, it's hard to think about this guy now. It's hard to think about the things he did back in the day, his accomplishments, his wins, thinking when you consider like who he is as a person, like what's coming out um, about him now. It's just like, oh. Right. All right. Well, this sounds like something for another episode. Maybe the okay. next one. Because this sounds fun. But let's move on. So entrepreneur number two, who has had first win, unlock the creative freedom for him to do what he did after. He goes by the name of Rob Walling. Have you heard of him? I have not. Okay. So he has a pretty popular podcast called Startups for the Rest of Us. And he's very much... um, into the idea of bootstrapping businesses. He doesn't believe too, too heavily in venture capital unless it's absolutely necessary. And his approach to this was that he had multiple product successes. So back in the day, he started something called .NET Invoice. He also had a product called Hittail, which was a um, long tail keyword search for search engines. And then those two products brought him six figures, whether that's single six figures or multiple six figures in revenue. And it allowed him freedom to build his next project, which became Drip. Have you ever heard of Drip? Oh, I've heard of Drip. Okay. We're talking about the, what's a, it's, there's, it's an e, it's a kind of a CRM email tool. Yep. Email marketing tool, which he later sold to lead pages for multiple eight figures he probably netted according to online internet sources 20 million dollars plus on that deal personally so because he had these first two products bringing in some amount of monthly revenue for him he was unlocked and able to focus on something larger and i thought that was interesting And the idea there is that he didn't have to work 40 hours a week for a company in order to get these other things off the ground because he unlocked his own freedom. Mm -hmm. What's he working on now? What what has he unlocked himself to do? So right now- Aside from the podcast. Okay. And he has something called Tiny Seed, which is a small startup accelerator, I guess. He's an investor now. And I guess that's what one does. When you are post-economic, yeah, you invest in other people's companies. It's a little ironic that he starts out saying bootstrap the way to go and then becomes an investor. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like even in the name, Tiny Seed, right? It's like very tiny seed rounds, which... I believe he takes a percentage of the business, but I think also there might be clauses in some cases where it's essentially a loan and you once you pay it back. Yeah, you, so he's trying to stick to that original mantra, the original ideal. Right. Makes sense. Right. Okay, cool. Cool. And then 
Entrepreneur number three is Sam Parr. He started The Hustle, which was a newsletter. Well, first it was a conference, then it became a newsletter business, which I know is right up your alley. And in year one, he gets 100,000 subscribers to this, basically grinding, reaching out to everyone he can. By the time he got to 70,000-ish subscribers, he started selling advertising to people in his network. That's where he unlocked revenue, which allowed him to get really creative with the business. By year two, he had 500,000 subscribers. Year three, 1 million subscribers. Obviously, this is a very big, booming business at this point. He's selling a lot of advertising spots. Also, in year three, he started a subscription service called Trends, which helped uh, internet entrepreneurs identify hot trends in different business verticals and added a element of recurring revenue to the hustles business. Um, in year five, I, he actually sold to HubSpot for an undisclosed amount. So he sold the hustle to HubSpot along with um, the podcast that he does called My First Million and trends the software business for what's estimated to be around 27 to $30 million of which he probably walked with 15 million plus himself. With that first win, he is now working on a business called Hampton, which is a private network for high growth founders, which high growth he defines on the website, joinhampton.com. And essentially, it's a network where it's one of those, hey, starting a business is kind of fucking lonely. Come network with other founders going through it, going through the same pains and struggles. And I think it's a very premium membership cost, probably multiple thousands per year, probably worth it. But the point is, now with his freedom, he's unlocked from his first win from the hustle. He has stated publicly on his podcast that he actually wants to work on Hampton for the rest of his life. He prefers to go slow, go big, compound it at 30% per year, kind of Warren Buffett-esque. And he believes, and frankly, watching from the outside, I believe it's probably going to be worth more than a billion dollars at some point 10 years down the road. Hampton is. What was that? You said Hampton's going to be worth $10 billion? Yes. More, $10 billion? One, 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 one billion. Oh, I'm sorry, one billion. Okay. Hampton sounds very interesting. It sounds like, from what you've just described, founders being able to network with each other and really just kind of like, like, you know, venting to each other, being able to, to, to share experiences. I've recently heard about how youth combinate YC founders, right? Like the quote unquote office hours and, and, and the time that they spent together, like talking about how they're grinding, being able to relate and empathize with each other. Cause there's no one else in the world, you know, in the professional world that you can do that with. Right. So like groups of founders from YC classes will continue to do these essentially therapy sessions, essentially like gatherings of like, you know, I am continue like we are still grinding. I am, you know, we're all founders here. These are my struggles. You can relate. Right. So Hampton sounds like a version of that, right? Where founders yeah. are able to relate with each other. It's essentially going to become a probably a multi-billion dollar therapy session for him, which is kind of fucking genius, right? Like it's such an easy sell. He's like, here I am, I'm Sam Parr. I made $20 million, whatever the number is, selling my business. Here's why you should trust me. Also join my network for startup founders. And this thing cost, I don't know what it cost, but 10 grand a year, right? And now you, the network effects of that, it's just going to grow so fast. I'm sure it already is. It's awesome. And he wouldn't have been able to do this without that first win. Like there's no shot he starts this business, which will likely be worth more than a billion without that first win. So, so the two. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was I just wanted to um 
kind of look back a little bit. So Elon's first win, he basically rode the dot-com boom with the Zip2. Yep. Right? Rob Walling sounds like SEO and email marketing SaaS tools that he sold, bootstrapped and sold, right? And then Sam Parr, kind of one of those um, personalities, right? Kind of thought leadership and building an audience with his newsletter. Um, and then with, um, you know, obviously now Hampton, right? Uh, also Trends. So another, I mean, you know, that's, it's smart. But he he started out with that newsletter, it sounds like, right? Or, you know, building an audience, right? So three very different approaches to getting that first win. Um, different eras, of course. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think you that's know, worth noting too. Yeah, actually, the fact that you said different eras, I didn't think about this and it wasn't planned. But Elon was the dot-com boom, <laughs> right? So that's late 90s, early 2000s. Rob Walling was started probably in like 2010-ish, like when email marketing tools were just getting hot. And then he sold, I don't know, in 2017. I'm just making up numbers here at this point. But then Sam Parr started towards 2016 and sold in 2021. So it kind of spans the last three decades. So that's a little fun fact. Do you think they all started these initial ventures that you listed off with the intention of quote unquote, getting the first win so that yes. they are financially free. hundred percent. Yep. I think actually in Sam Parr's case, I've heard him mention, I'm a big fan of his podcast. I have heard him mention like the hustle. He was trying to figure out ways to make money, right? Like that's all it was. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think, you know, a lot of people write blog posts and start newsletters and they start podcasts like we have started a podcast and they deny the fact or they won't announce the fact that like, hey, I'm actually trying to make some money here. I think it's good when you're providing a good product, but you're also trying to make money for your family and et cetera. So I think it's cool that he he has said like the hustle was me trying to build something to make money. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I agree. I think when you outwardly say that, though, in the moment, there's an element of being looked at as um, disingenuous uh, of, you know, not exactly trying to provide the best quality value to your audience, to your customer, and more so coming at it. Uh, you know, you might, people might think you're cutting quarters. People might think that you're, um, you know, doing things on the cheap. Basically, I'm saying like, there's a balance of having that intention and that goal internally, while not necessarily messaging that. So that people don't think that, oh, like, you know, their mission isn't exactly to like make, to solve my problem. Their mission is to like get a first win, you know? Yeah. But I think you can't get to the first win unless you solve a lot of people's problems anyway. Right? Yeah, like if your sure. product sucks, it doesn't matter. Right. They're not mutually exclusive. I, for sure. You can do both. Right. I'm just saying it's about like outwardly saying it is one thing. Being honest about it. Not okay. Honest is good. I'm not saying don't be honest. I'm saying there's a messaging thing here. There's perceptions, which at the which at the end at the end of the day is a lot of everything, right? Yeah. I would bet I could be wrong. Leave a comment somewhere, but I would bet most people who would listen to a podcast like this are trying to make money online in some business. I don't agree. go out there and scam people. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick that will right. measure against Elon right. contest. Oh my but, gosh. Yeah, you like you like the little wraparound I did there? But well, we can also wrap around with the fact that these three examples of different eras, you know, we we also talked about Taylor's eras tour earlier. So Oh wow. There was a there was a there's a there's a few things here that we can tie back to earlier segments. <laughs> or at least that one particular one. Funny how this lined up. All right. Well, anyway, my takeaway point here is that there's multiple ways to getting a first win in business. But once you get there, you essentially have absolute freedom to do whatever you want next. And in some cases, that may be that you want to do nothing next. You might just 
hire a CEO for some business you're working on or have worked on, you may bank 20K a month yourself and just go enjoy your fucking life and just manage the business from afar. Fire. And if you do that, that's cool. That might be what you want to do. Financially but, independent, become an investor. Faran. Yes. I call it unlocked and loaded. Obviously, you've heard of locked and loaded. Like, you locked and loaded. I like to think of this as unlocked and loaded. So you've unlocked freedom, and you're also financially loaded because of it. Boom. Maybe you'll create an unlocked and loaded guide someday. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> unlocked and loaded by Matt Ehrlich. Yeah. Coming to your bookshelves soon. Yeah, I mean, it's a good concept. Um, there are countless other examples. So I actually had a list of like eight or nine, but I was like, man, that's too long for one episode. But I've noticed well, maybe, this trend. Maybe you should write about them in a newsletter, uh, in a blog yeah. post that we can send out to people in a newsletter. By the way, speaking of newsletter, what uh, I think we, we want to share that if you want to subscribe to our newsletter, you can go to alkabits.com forward slash newsletter. Alkabits, A-L-C-H-E-B-I-T-S dot com forward slash newsletter. And hear those or like check out those uh, other examples that Matt, Matt has. Yeah. Subscribe to the newsletter. Carlos, what do you think? I think the podcast was solid. Did my whoop score, which told me I was going to drop hot fire today. Did I do that? You certainly dropped people who could fire financially independent, retire early. And there were some hot, spicy topics. I, I mean, mainly Elon. I think he's a spicy topic right now. So to answer your question, yes, you dropped hot fire today. There you go. So buy a whoop strap because the thing tells the truth. Sponsor us, whoop. <laughs> yeah, this was a good pod, man. I enjoyed it. I think we should talk more about the first win in future episodes. And We can spotlight content creators or other business people, other tech people who've had that yeah. first win. Yeah, like maybe like an alchemy report. Since this is the alchemy of bits, we'll do like an alchemy report. Alchemy report, alchemy spotlight. Same thing. All right. Carlos, I think that's the pod. Yeah, I'm let's wrap there. Some take tape tater dots. What do you think? I love it. You know, anything Taylor Swift, I'm a big Swifty now. So anything Tay Tay related, I love it. All right. That's the pod. Good All right. Bye. bye.